Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about being a contributor, not a guru. Hmm. I just love that line so much. So I I read that line just like in the last couple of days, and it's it's in a book called A Chill and Prosper by Chill Denise Duffield Thomas. Yeah, I, I, it's a like a rewrite of a of a book I think she'd done before, and it just happened to kind of come across my my wavelength. So I was I was reading it, and I was I was on the you know the exercise bike reading that, going whoa. <laughs> so the idea behind you know. The, the few paragraphs where she talks about this is that the idea behind this is that we tend to wrap ourselves up into concern and worry, and maybe we even call it imposter syndrome. You know, who are we to contribute to this particular conversation? I'm not an expert. I'm not a guru, but gee, I have to be in order to have something to say. Mm. And, you know, the example she uses is her own, where, where, Basically, she just let that fear go and say, you know what? It doesn't matter. I don't have to be a a guru. I don't have to be the expert. I don't even have to be an expert. Um, I just have to have a point of view and I just have to start contributing to the conversation and not worry about everything else. And I thought, bingo. (laughs) Right. How much do you think that ties into perfectionism? Is it just, is it sort of similar? Like the, is just perfectionism? kind of like the other side of the coin from imposter syndrome do you think like i'm not perfect therefore or do you think uh do you think they're discreet maybe it's both i mean i never thought about it that way it's I, I kind of have come to hate the words imposter syndrome because I feel like we use it as an excuse not to push ourselves forward. Well, I can't do that. I have imposter syndrome. Um, everybody does. <laughs> like, this is pretty much universal unless you're a narcissist. You have this. So, yeah. Um, but perfectionism, yeah, I mean, perfectionism can hold you back in the same way, right? Because right. it has to be perfect before I can release it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, maybe maybe they are. So, yeah, the same coin. I get myself in hot water from time to time when I try to point out to people that if if you know way more about your area of expertise than your ideal buyer, then as far as they're concerned, you're an expert. Mm-hmm. And I I get pushed back on this because it's like, yeah, but you're fooling them, you know, or something like, you know, along those lines. It's like, yeah, but you're not an expert as if and maybe this is true, but their their point is like expert is an objective reality and it's global. Ah, uh, no. Right? Yeah, I, I disagree how, with that. I, yeah, how would we ever, how would, how would any know? of us get any work, right. right? If it was only the one person in each little niche that got work, well, the heck with the rest of us. Right. And it's, but I understand like why someone would, you know, because it, it reeks of sort of snake oil sales. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. here are all these promises that I'm not going to keep. And it's like, well, that's not what I'm saying. Like what I'm saying is if you know like enough more about, I don't know, WordPress than, than your dad who runs a, a pizza place, he's going to think you're an expert. It's like, well, just using myself for an example, like I, I've been a computer guy forever and ever. But I don't know diddly about Windows. So when anyone, you know, like someone in my family is like, oh, you know, something's wrong with my PC. Can you help? And I'm, they think I'm an expert. And I probably do know just understanding the way computers think or people that make computers think. 
probably am an expert compared to them. So like to me, the term expert is always relative and it's not relative to your peers. It's more relative to your, the people you're trying to help. Right. Right. And it's, buyer. right. And it's in their head. And so you'll never see me, uh, you will never see me recommend to a student that they call themselves an expert. Mm-hmm. I don't do that. Like if someone wants to call you an expert, or if you want to share a quote that the New York Times called you an expert at WordPress or whatever, fine, put that on you. But someone else said it. You didn't say it. Right. So yeah, I'm not saying that no one should call themselves an expert. I mean, I think there's a certain point where maybe you do get to that level of, it's almost like once you hit the authority level, then yeah, you can call yourself an expert, but that's like a level <laughs> behind you. So you're definitely, right. you know, like maybe, maybe pick someone. Uh, Seth Godin is an expert at marketing. I mean, he's in the hall of fame for crying out loud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's an authority, but yeah, right. he and he could call himself an expert with all due humility. Right, but I bet he doesn't. No, I don't think he does. I think he he doesn't like labels like that. But the yeah. other thing I was thinking as you were saying that is that um, you know, there's we all have some natural career progression. You know, I'm thinking about when I was a consultant in a big firm in, in my 20s. Like, you know, I was you know working with people who were in their 40s and 50s, and they're looking at me going. Pfft, you're just a kid. What the heck do you know? And, and so, and I, you know, I kind of felt that too. So I was very careful, but when I, when I, uh, worked with my peers in the organization, they saw me as ahead of where they were and that I had expertise that they didn't have. And they, they gave me respect. And over time, the senior people gave me respect too, but I had to earn it. Mm. Right. It took a while. So there's that, I think. And especially if you're, you know, if you're earlier in your career, when you go out on your own, you can kind of sort of go, oh, well, who am I to call myself an expert? Mm-hmm. Well, you don't have to. You just have to <laughs> do the work. Yeah. And that's, and to me, that's the point. It's like, and uh, and there, I think the reason I started thinking about perfectionism along with imposter syndrome is because you can combat those things by, by helping, right? So like, yes. like, uh, Every once in a while, I'll get someone, this is not common, but every once in a while, I'll get someone who's like fresh out of a boot camp or fresh out of school. They've never freelanced or anything. And they're like, how do I, you know, do, do like these sort of expert, these things that really, you kind of need to know what you're doing first. Like it's table stakes. Like you need to know what you're doing, mm-hmm. right? Like your craft, that, that piece, like right. you need, you need to know what you're doing. And, but once you do that, a lot of the things we talk about is like, okay, but to get to the next level, it's like, you know, I don't know, things like, you know, building your authority, value pricing, stuff like that. It's it's Mm -hmm. like, it it presumes that you're good at what you do. So, okay. So if you actually are not good at what you do, you're just (laughs) brand new. Okay. That's one thing you, you got to put in some time and get good at your craft at least. But where was I going with that? Um, Oh, so the. But along the way, you you don't need to start off like, okay, just say I'm an expert or like a freelancer that just says, oh, I'm going to start calling myself a consultant because that's because people say they'll pay more for consultants. It's like, no, there's an actual difference. So a, as you're starting out, if you are that person who just got out of a boot camp or whatever, guaranteed 100% there are people around who you can help and and you can prove that you helped them because they will say in a testimonial that you improved their lives in these three ways or whatever the whatever the case may be so you don't have to you don't have to say like you don't even have to 
worry about like, oh, well, I'm an expert to compare to them or whatever. You don't even have to talk about expert or guru or mm -hmm. uh, anything like that. You just like, look, I helped all these people and they're happy about it. And, and, and if they paid me, they're, they're glad they spent the money because the transformation was better than having the money in the bank or whatever. So to me, yeah. that, yeah, that's, so that's what I love. As when a you buyer, I respond to that. I respond to that way more than somebody that says, I'm an expert. I know this. <laughs> I know that. I know this. And I can help anything. you. Yeah. Whereas the other one has, a, you know, a little humility, but not too much. I mean, you know, you got to put yourself out there and the testimonials um, are going to tell me more. I mean, as a buyer, that kind of a site, that kind of a message really appeals to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, think about what was it? What was I? I was just thinking about buying something, um, and I went to the web page for it. it was sort of like a servicey, productized servicey type of thing. And I went to the website for it, and I was like, okay. I mean, I know a hundred people that could have written this website in a day and made it look like this and have decent copy. I'm like, but this is an important thing that I'm wanting to do. And I don't want to have to do it again. And I don't want to find out later that it's screwed up. So I really need to trust this person. What, or this, this company, what do you think I did? I looked for reviews. Mm, of course. Yeah. And I found, <laughs> well, I guess it doesn't matter. But the point is, I, I found reviews and it instantaneously changed my trust level. Up right? or down? It, uh, at first up. And then it started to look like it was too good to be true. I'm like, these aren't real. <laughs> these cannot be real so and then some of the other you know some of the other reviews are like these reviews are not real these are bot reviews because i use these people and this is what happened and it was clearly written by a human and i was like uh... but the point the overall point though is that testimonials you know like if they're credible which these were perhaps not credible but if the testimonials are credible and you've delivered positive outcomes for your past clients or your or beta testing pilot program people or friends and family that's what matters that's the thing help people mm -hmm. you like get what they want right so whether or not they perceive you as a guru or an expert is almost immaterial i, I guess it's it's kind of immaterial it's 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 sort of like when we have those enough conversations is that you're good enough mm -hmm. right yeah. in this case it's you're good enough and i love your wordpress example because i know very little about wordpress just enough to make my site do what i need to do so is the the guy who does my wordpress site is he like the world's expert on wordpress i kind of doubt it um but i i don't care because he gets whatever i need done right it's like yeah. okay that's great love that now as a as a provider i don't really want my clients to go oh yeah she's good enough <laughs> you know, I want them to be using superlatives and saying I had these outcomes and this is what it was like. But, you know, that's not where we all start, right? You got to start somewhere. Right. Yeah. So if you if you can just deliver, I mean, it's so easy to say. It sounds it's simple. It might not be easy to do. Yeah. But the, the difference, I think the key difference between, you know, showing up and, you know, being I'm a guru or I'm an expert at this, that or the other versus I'm here to help is that the the first, the former, the the I'm the expert. I'm here from the internet. I'm I'm gonna <laughs> you know, I'm I'm good at all of these things. And it's very self-centered, right? Like mm -hmm. you actually don't know if you can help because you don't know the situation of the person on the other end. So the the I'm here to help 
versus I'm awesome at this is like automatically going to put you in more of a service posture, more of a consult consultative mode where you're like, okay, I'm confident in like these three skills or these six skills or whatever, but that doesn't matter. It's not even part of the conversation. The conversation is what's your situation client, you know, or, or person who needs help. What's your situation? Let's see if I can help. Right. It's like, that's the mm-hmm. sales interview. That's the why conversation Yeah, is like, yeah, I'm confident in certain things, but that does not mean you can help the person sitting across the table from you for a variety of reasons. They might not yes. want the help. Yep. You know, or they might want the help in a particular kind of way that is not the way that you normally deliver it. Exactly. Yeah. They oh. might want help in a way that you would never do because it's below beneath your professional standards. Yeah. And those last two, I just want to reiterate, those are so important. And the earlier you start, you know, weeding those out versus saying, okay, I, I can I can do that, <laughs> then- <laughs> the the more your your brand really right your reputation as as a consultative whatever you do will be enhanced mm-hmm. i mean that's that's the thing if you never say no you're not a consultant <laughs> or you're you're scrambling trying to become one yeah. uh, right it's i'm reminded of the the sort of the cobbler's kids metaphor that i use a lot when when uh, when I get a software developer who's, you know, by all objective measures, really good at a particular technology, they they wrote the book on it, you know, pick pick the technology, Node, React, PhoneGap, whatever. They, they're like very well regarded as an authority on the thing. Uh, if they go to a startup, for example, so if they picked a, a target buyer, they're like, oh, I love the excitement of working with startups and co- consulting with them on let's just say uh, React, then they go there and there's probably a bunch of people there who are really good at React already. And maybe the CTO or the founder is on the, you know, is from Facebook and had something to do with creating React in the first place. And in their minds, you're going to be less of a magician with your toolkit than if you went to the mom and pop pizza place and made them an amazing like online ordering application that happened to use react but they don't care about that like whatever it's just amazing so it gets back to that expertise is relative thing where if you are trying to deliver value to people who are not impressed by your magic trick then it's just going to be lower. Even if you did the exact same activities that you would do for someone who is impressed by the magic trick, it's just worth less to them. So this topic comes mm-hmm. up a lot when it when people are value pricing because picking your target market, uh, you want someone who has an expensive problem that your skills or talents or superpowers can address, but to them, it's like magic. Like they don't know how you did it they don't want to know how you did it (laughs) they're just they just want the outcome and they're not going to micromanage you like a cobbler's you know if if i'm built making shoes for a cobbler they're going to nitpick every little stitch right everything and it's it's just no there's no magic they just didn't have the time to do it do it themselves so they brought someone in who's maybe they think not even as good as them (laughs) yeah Right. Yeah, so, that's the the person who's going to execute. Yeah, I will yeah. just tell them what to do and they will do it, i.e. Mm-hmm. freelancer. Right. So the reason I even brought that up is because the this notion of ele- of expertise being relative between the seller and the buyer is is really important and mm-hmm. you're looking for scenarios where 
it, probably, almost certainly, you're going to look for scenarios where the buyer does not think, where the buyer thinks you're an expert compared to them at this particular thing. That's where the high value is going to be. And that's where the least amount of, um, you know, backseat driving is going to happen, <laughs> that, right? It's where you're going to be able to uh, minimize your costs, deliver a great outcome with minimal mm, minimal micromanaging, which creates more work and so forth. But anyway, it's, it's, uh, I think it's really important. I, maybe it, maybe I talk about it periodically. What do you think? Maybe I should not use the word expert there. Like what is the thing? Is there a better word to than saying like, oh, well the buyer thinks I'm an expert, but maybe expert is the wrong word. What do you, do you think there's a different well, one? There's, there's something that rattling around in my head, but it's, it's not the right words for this, but this is how I think about it, that you're the right choice. Mm-hmm. for them, um, which is not the same as being an expert, because right. you might be an expert at whatever it is, like a technology, but what they really need, what the client really needs is someone who, yes, understands the technology. There's not a high value in that. What they love is that when you can ask questions about their organization and how they're going to use this technology and how what areas of the organization does it touch and what kinds of issues do we have to talk about like something bigger than just technology yeah and that's to me that's what makes somebody the right choice because you could say oh yeah they're an expert but i don't care they, they couldn't speak to me in a way mm-hmm. i could understand like the, all that jargon i don't want to spend my this sounds like something i would say i don't want to yeah. spend my day with somebody who's going to spew jargon at me i want somebody who's going to worry about that stuff and translate it for me so i can right. understand it that would be the right choice yeah, they want to believe that you can help with the problem. <laughs> like yeah. they want to believe. They want to believe and and maybe your credentials, let's not say expertise, but let's just say your credentials, your street cred, sometimes I call it like oh, yeah. you know, you worked at Facebook or you're on the core contributing team or you wrote the book on it. Like your your credentials might make your claim more credible that that yes, mm-hmm. I, I've seen this kind of problem before. I'm, you know, I'm highly confident that I can solve it and you and and they're probably also pretty confident that you can solve it because of these third party indicators of these social proof. So it's not that it doesn't come into play, but there is a big um, attitude, you know, it's it's like the attitude really comes into it. It's like you're I'm here to help. I'm not here to impress you with my skills. So if I can't help, I don't want to take your money if I'm not going to improve your condition. It's, it kind of reminds me of like a doctor with an absolutely atrocious bedside manner, but they're re- they're really I mean they're a doctor like they're good at what they do they you know they pass all the exams they maybe even produce good results, but if they're super pompous right they're it's just annoying yeah right so yeah they're not there to help they're there to to pump themselves up or increase their status or you know I don't know yes. whatever. Oh, that used to define so many of my uh, my early client meetings in, in the big firm because where I was managing the client relationship and they would indicate some kind of a problem, right? So I'd bring in the A team for whatever that problem was. And so they were typically highly specialized. They were very impressive if you get them to talk about their thing, but in a new business meeting, they didn't, the good ones would ask questions and it was great, but some were so technical. It was all about showing how much they knew. Mm -hmm. And those meetings were like, you know, 
fingernails on a chalkboard. It just, yeah. and I, you could see if they just bothered to look at the client, they yeah. could see the client was not happy. But right. yeah, it's it's the motivation. I'm here to help is very different than I'm here to show you how much I know and how special I am. Yeah. 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 Very different. I'm kind of reminded of Flawless Consulting yeah. by Peter Block, right? It's like, it's like that thing where I, I don't remember the terms, maybe you do, but he, he's like that sort of like superhero consultant who swoops in, gives you the gives the client all the answers. And they're right. Like they might be technically accurate, but the delivery system was wasn't effective to get the medicine to where it needed to go. Yeah. Right? So yeah. Here's like, the here's the bottle. Um, but oh, I forgot to tell you, you actually have to put it in a spoon and swallow it four times a day. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> And they're just not enrolled. They're they're not enrolled in their own therapy. So they're they're just it's just not yeah. going to stick. Uh, so you know, a, a more. Mm, if, it's funny because when I was reading the book, I was like, "Wow, I never did this because it feels less efficient." But it's the thing that actually works. So is yeah. it really less efficient? Yeah. Right? It, well, it is less efficient in the sense of uh, it it it's less it's more time. Right. Mm -hmm. For you to engage people, it takes time, it takes more of your time, it takes more of their time. Um, it adds to the timeline of whatever it is that you're doing. But mm -hmm. in the end, it is what will make it stick for them. Yeah. It's the thing that'll get the testimonial instead of the three ring binder on the shelf. Yeah. Or that what we used to say is, is show up and throw up. <laughs> right. And they just, oh, I know this, I know this, I know this. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So what's the, so what is this? what is the takeaway for the listener here? Is it, I feel like we're really saying that expertise is relative. Maybe don't call yourself an expert. Fine. Have your credentials and your street cred and all of that and your social proof and third party validation, all that stuff. Right. But let that speak for itself. And then when you show up, it's not about pitching or saying how smart you are or anything like that. It's about finding out if you can help. And, and if you, if you, if you're, I try not to use the word expertise, but if your if your qualifications are sufficiently um, bigger, higher than the clients, then they're going to see you as an expert. So it's fine. You know what I mean? Like they're going to see that you can help. I don't know. That was that was clumsy, but I'm trying to like I'm trying to like wrap it into uh, something like a takeaway or something. Well, I think there is another layer to this. And the other layer is not about clients so much, but about other people in the space. So I've, I've heard this a lot where somebody says, well, you know, I have this take on X, right? My area of expertise, but these other three people are the gurus in the field. So who am I to contribute to this conversation other than just asking the gurus questions to clarify their point of view? Mm -hmm. And I just love this idea that, well, I can still contribute to this conversation. I have a voice. I have a way that I want to interact, whether that's your blogging, emails, podcasting, videos, whatever you're doing. And it's I, I think the other piece of this message is, at least for me, is not to silence yourself because you think you're not a guru yet, right? Mm -hmm. Or that you don't have a comparable level of expertise with somebody else. That doesn't mean you don't have plenty of value to add to mm -hmm. the conversation. So I just feel like it takes the pressure off 
of having to be perfect, having to be right, having to be super smart all the time and just contributing. And and I'm talking about public discourse now. You're right. contributing to that conversation and you know, you're going to you're going to start getting people respond responding to you. And you have an absolute right and maybe we would even say obligation, right, for your area of expertise to contribute to mm. the conversation about it. Yeah. And it so uh, I feel like most of the books I've written, if not all, were – my favorite kind of book to write is for beginners. I love opening up the door to the beginner – like the beginner's mind and like giving them mm -hmm. that sort of training wheels kind of version of something – like really complex, but but don't worry about all that, dear reader. You all you need to know is this to get yourself started. All you, to get yourself and mm -hmm. in my head, I'm like, and you're gonna get hooked because it's amazing, right? So it's sort of it's sort of like eighty twenty rule. It's sort of utilitarian. It's very pragmatic. Um, I you know it, there's a lot of hand waviness over those super subtle nuanced stuff, but that would overwhelm them in the you know like right out of the gate if you if you went crazy with it. Um, and, and so here's the point, like for that audience, for the reader that you chose to write for, the, the reader, the kind of reader who you want to help, you are going to help, right? Like it's not about, I don't know where I read this, but I love this quote. Uh, you, you don't need to show up and teach them everything you know. You just need to teach them the thing that they need now. Like what is the thing that's mm -hmm. going to help them take the next step? Mm -hmm. And whenever I'm working with someone who's writing a book, especially if it's their first book, they want to write the 800-page Bible on everything <laughs> they've learned in 15 years about either software development or marketing or pricing or positioning or any, you know, they just like want to write the be-all, end-all tome on the thing. And I'm like, well, who's the reader for that? And they're kind of like, it's the book I wish I had, you know, when I started. Right. It's like, it's like, really? Is that really the book you wish you had? <laughs> or would you rather have a 120-page book that gets you from point A to point B if, you know, for anybody who's at that particular point A. So, you know, take, I don't know, take a topic like pricing. Good Lord. I mean, or, or marketing. I mean, come on, sales. You, you are not the world expert. You're not. Like, there's no way. But if you pick, air quotes, a buyer who knows like nothing about it and, and maybe even despises the existing authorities, or the way the existing authorities write, or everything seems outdated, or they can't translate it into the into this time period, or into their industry. You don't need to be the world's greatest pricing expert to be able to teach a bunch of people who have never even thought about it what the basic principles are and how they can actually get a little better. You know what I mean? So it's like mm -hmm. it's like you know you've you've written the book. Does that make you an expert? Well, I think writing a book makes you a lot better at at your area of expertise, that the, the process of going through it really makes you think things through. But what's really important is that the reader is glad they read the book. Right? Like that's the definition of a good <laughs> book. Right? So, oh, I'm yeah. so glad I read that. Why? Not because it was the be all end all 800 page tome on marketing, but because I got a bunch of, you know, I got a new worldview or I'm starting to understand the mind shift. I've got a bunch of action items, little tactics that I can do. I understand the strategy. You know, it's like little basic stuff. Nuggets. And 
yeah, nuggets. It's like Mike Michalowicz's book, Profit First, in the reviews, there, there are people who are like CPAs in the, so, some people, I mean, he's got like 5,000 five-star reviews. It's a good book for a particular person. When, and when I see reviews on that book that are like, oh, this is, this is more work than it needs to be. You just use your P&L. It's all right there. And, and it's like, okay, but you're not, you're not the target reader. It's the total cobbler's yeah. kids thing. Yeah. It's like, this isn't for you. So no wonder you think it's, I don't know, oversimplified or over, over, uh, like too much work. It's not complex, but it's like, it's a fair amount of setting up accounts, for example. And the, like this, I remember reading one, the CPA was like, you don't need to set up all those accounts. You don't need to call the bank. You don't need to do that. You can just tell your accountant to do this and that and that, and just send you a and And it's like, no, you're missing the whole point. <laughs> the whole point is I'm not going to call my accountant. I'm not, I don't know how to run my P and L. I don't even yeah. have to log in for QuickBooks. Right. This so book is not for you. Right. So you could imagine, I could imagine someone saying like Mike Michalowicz is not an expert at business finance or, or whatever you'd say the topic of that book is, you know, because it's too watered down or it's too primary colors or something like that. And it's like, it's like, it's not about that. You know what I mean? It's not about that. It's about delivering a good result. But the flip side of that is, gee, should Michalowicz not have written that book because he wasn't <laughs> a CPA? No, I mean, I, I don't know. We didn't talk about that in our interview with him. I don't know if he had any any misgivings about it. I kind of doubt it because it wasn't his first book. But that would be an example. Why do I have to be a CPA in order to write a book about how businesses can think differently about their profits? Mm-hmm. And that's that's what we're talking about here. It's like not getting wrapped up in that guru thing. Like, look at all the money books that are written by people who are not CFP, certified financial planners. I mean, probably more have been written by non-CFPs than <laughs> CFPs. Right. It's, it, yeah, it's it's your life experience and, you know, all the things that you said about targeting your reader and, and what are the nuggets that you you want to give to them through the course mm-hmm. of, of a book, but it doesn't have to be a book. It's, it could just be that you, you write blogs, you write emails, you talk about these things. And, you know, at some point perhaps you create the book, but you're maybe not starting there. The important thing is to speak up, to start to contribute versus waiting until you feel like you're a guru. Cause it's like chicken and egg. You're not going to be a guru, quote unquote. I really do not like that word, but you're not going to be a guru um, if you've never shared anything <laughs> to be critiqued, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. It's like, it's like, think about, think, I don't know, think about your, it's kind of, I, I really feel strongly about the value of localization uh, in not in the technical software term, but, but like localizing evergreen sort of wisdom into a, a language that a subgroup previously couldn't understand. So, I mean, you could take it literally like, I don't know, like uh, the Book of Five Rings or the Art of War by Sun Tzu. It's like, it's like you don't have to be the world's expert on uh, Chinese or war to create value for people by translating that book into another language so someone else can read it. You know what I'm saying? Like you're contributing, you're helping. It's like yeah. someone translating. Someone one time emailed me. It was like, "Can I translate Hour of the Billing is Nuts into French? You can. You can have it when I'm done. I just wanna. I wanna translate it into French." And I was like, "Sure." <laughs> is, was this person like, the best French translator in the English to French translator in the world? I have no idea. I can't read it. <laughs> I, I, did I look around? No. It, I've never had anyone complain. I. I you know. 
But it's like, it's a contribution. The person didn't need to be the world's greatest. They helped. Oh, I had to mute myself for a sneeze there. Yikes. <laughs> so anyway, it's, pro- what yeah, it's, probably, it's probably not the greatest analogy to what we're talking about here. But, but you're unlocking, the idea of unlocking the door to a body of knowledge for a group of people who are locked out to me is massively valuable uh, and it doesn't require that you're like the world's greatest expert it requires that you understand the group of people who are locked out like that's the key and if you can take the you know and you're like okay hey everybody from this group that i'm in you know let's use me as an example here i'm a software developer marketing's bs and then at some point i'm like maybe marketing's not bs and so i went and tried to unlock that door and then once I got through it, I was like, dudes, there's some cool stuff over here. <laughs> I know you hate it. <laughs> I know you can't stand any of this stuff, but there's some nuggets of gold in here. And, you know, and I, and I spent a lot of time trying to use terms that, or, you know, make the medicine go down, you know, to help people and connecting, connecting their worries, fears, nightmares, their expensive problems to these things they've heard of, but have always just rejected out of hand, unexamined. And it's like, hey, sick of that feast famine cycle? I've got news for you. So yeah. anyway, it doesn't make I, me an expert at all. But I really like the way you use the words locked out, because it can be locked out of a particular piece of knowledge, like the, the English to French translation. It can also be locked out because of what gender you are, or what ethnicity you are, what country you come from, you know, there's all sorts of ways to be locked out. And, and the reason that just really hit me is that that gives you so many different potential audiences. So you could be doing exactly what Jonathan is doing, right? You could do, you know, pretty much everything, but it, if you're designing it for a completely different audience, what you say is not going to look like what Jonathan says, mm-hmm. right? You're going to to adjust it for your audience. So it's another way that you're never going to look like anybody else, but you are still contributing to the conversation around your expertise. And on the quasi-selling side, you're also contributing to to the growth of your clients or the outcomes that you're producing. So it's both in your realm of expertise, if I can use that word now, <laughs> and the work that you're doing directly with clients. It's both. Yeah, right. And you you will get better through doing it. Like, yeah, right. It's like, but it's just not the focus. The focus is turning on the light bulb or unlocking that door, and yeah. whether it's sales or a workshop or a book or, or any of that stuff. And you can do that today right like if if the audience doesn't know more about the subject than you and if if they are in the dark or locked out and you know how to change that then you're kind of like an expert of that you know you're kind of like an expert of translating this information into a format that they can understand and and actually you know produce uh changes you know like they'll actually take action actually take Mm -hmm. action um but yeah so you could think of it sometimes i get i'm like Sometimes I get a little wrapped around the axle when I'm talking about the difference between uh, specialization and niching down. And it's like, you, there is this, this sort of, um, uh, you know, asymptotically approaching infinity where your, exp- your specialization becomes solving a problem. And the problem is only, it's, it's almost like, it's, it's like, uh, what do you specialize in? I specialize in helping software developers 
make more money in less time without working more hours. And it's like, that's not a specialization in my, you know what I mean? It's like specializing mm -hmm. on a expensive problem is almost, it almost gets weird. It's like, cause specializ I usually use the word specialization around your discipline, like, you know, business coach right. or react developer or whatever, yeah. branding consultant. The horizontal. The horizontal, right. And, but it, it can start to flip at a certain point where all you do is so solve like a particular problem. And then mm -hmm. it's like, there's no discipline. It's like a, it's like you're the ultimate generalist in a way because you've, you do whatever you need to do to solve that problem. It becomes a different. Yes. That's exact. That's, that's a high level consultant, right? Because mm -hmm, you right. come in with your, your original tech, uh, technology, not technology, technical knowledge, mm -hmm. and you've learned and you've created this bag of tricks of all these other things, like the questions you ask. Do you do interviews with the employees at the organization? Who do you talk to? Um, who is part of the uh, the solution? Who do you engage? At what point do you engage them? All those things, and we learn those. We you know we don't walk in knowing all that. We learn a little bit more with every project we do. Hopefully, mm -hmm. yeah, hopefully, right? Yeah, yeah. It's wild. Love it. Yeah. All right. So you're all gurus now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when, when I suggested this topic, I had this momentary hesitation because I feel like a lot of our message has been, you know, become the guru, become the authority. But it's, it's not, it, it doesn't happen in one step. And I just think it's really important to be contributing, to be doing something on a regular basis. And I just think it just takes a lot of pressure off to just think about it in terms of contributing. Yeah, certainly on the way. But I, I, I get what you're saying and I get the hesitation. But to me, an authority is a recognized expert. And, and the word recognized is very important there. It's not like an authority yes. isn't just an expert. It's a bunch of people perceive you as an expert at this area of, let's call it focus, your area of focus. Why do they think that? They think that because you've been helping them, right? So it's a recognized expert versus an expert who's just like, you know, just knows their thing, but no one knows that they know it. You know, it's to me, it's that recognition. It, it exists in other people. The, the, the expertise yes. label exists in other people, not in you. So if you don't feel like you have that expert label existing in you, like you wouldn't label yourself that way, not a problem. That is not a problem. Yeah. Mic drop. Yeah. It's, I mean, this is all, <laughs> to me, this is all like, it's like reputational marketing is kind of what we're talking about. So it's, it's, it's like your brand. Your brand isn't what you, you say it is. It's what other people say it is and especially your target market. So mm -hmm. yeah, I mean the key is to is to have these conversations to contribute to the conversation and it happens over time and it will lead you um if you you know do some of the other things that we talk about on the show it 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 will lead you to authority if that's the path that you want to go. Mhm. Mm yeah. Cool. Love it. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Onward. <laughs> cool. Well, hopefully that was helpful. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.